Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Dana Altman coming up at 4 o'clock, University of Oregon men's basketball coach. Tomorrow in the show, 324, make an appointment. Scott Lakeham, the athletic director, University of Portland, will be joining us tomorrow, 324. I want to catch up with him, find out what's going on at UP, WCC, all of that stuff. Our next guest, you know him, PJ Carlissimo. You know him on TV at ESPN, the NBA and TNT, Fox Sports, Pac-12 Network, head coach of uh, four NBA teams, uh, college coach, man of the world, PJ Carlissimo. He's in the state of Oregon. What are you doing, coach? Hey, John, I've got uh, Washington State at Oregon State uh, for Pac-12 Network tonight. Actually looking forward. I think it's going to be a good game. Yeah, Washington, Oregon State's different at home, and Washington State, totally they're a different team. Washington State is big. They're just long and big. They've been pounding the last uh, three games. I was talking to Kyle Smith at the shoot-around this morning. I can't believe it. I mean, their numbers – what they've done the last three games in terms of rebounding, offensive boards, second chance points, and then on top of that, they're averaging ten turnovers, ten point one turnovers a game. I mean, they're hard to beat. They've won six out of seven, and the seventh was an overtime loss. So I mean, they're playing really well. They've put themselves up. I think they were forty-one in the net rating this morning. So long way to go. Obviously, I think the Pac-12 is about halfway through their season, but. Um, they've put themselves in really good position to, you know, where if they can continue uh, at this level or even close to it, um, they're a legit opportunity to get an at-large bid. You've been part of a bunch of teams that played deep in the NCAA tournament, had a Final Four in 89, Big East tournament champion twice, uh, NBA championship team that you were on with the Spurs three times. Do you get a feel as a coach at a – juncture of the season that hey man this is really coming together or how does that feel to be sort of on the inner sanctum well i I think uh, a you're always optimistic probably overly so um in terms of your team you always think your team's a little better than they probably are but you know for sure when you have a good team that doesn't sneak up on you you got a team that's you know particularly nba when you're you know halfway through the year or you know certainly approaching the all-star game um college when you get halfway through your conference schedule you know that because you, you've handled things you've probably had an injury or two and had to play without a guy you've had home games you've had road games you've probably dealt with a slump somewhere along the way and just saw how your team reacted and you know i, I think when you get to a certain point if your team is good you know it by then if they're not you're still hoping it's going to come together but uh, when you've got a good one, whether it's NBA or whether it's college, you know, and, and that's all you really, you just want a chance, John, every night. I know that sounds stupid, but, um, you, you know, you've got, you want to see where you control your own destiny. You know, like if we play well, we can win the game. It doesn't matter what the other guys do. Um, and when you have a lesser team, you know, the other team's got to cooperate, you know, for you to win. Like you, it doesn't matter. You can go in and play as well as you want. If that other team plays, you know, even reasonably close to their, ability you're probably going to lose the game Um, whereas when you have a team that's good enough you feel like hey we control our own destiny even on the road now like you know we're going into another really good team's joint 
Um, do we have to play very, very well? Yeah, we do, but you, you kind of feel like we can make that happen. And, and I think that Washington State is at that level right now. I, I think Kyle's team really believes that they've shown they can win on the road. I think they're 3-3 three and three in the pack at this point on the road. They can rebound. They can shoot the three a little bit. They've got a couple of very good players that, you know, they're a balanced team. Um, so, you know, I, I th- and it's a big jump. I mean, when you think of the four guys they lost from last year to be where they are right now, and they took a lot of heat in the preseason. You know, they were, I don't know, something in 0, 11-0, 9-0, oh, whatever. And everybody said, well, they haven't played a road game. All they're playing is bad teams. But it was a good move. I think he got some confidence into his guys, uh, and that wasn't enough. Then they had to go out and prove it, and they've been able to do that. So uh, they're legit. I, you know, I think I keep seeing – People were saying three. If you look at Joe Lenardi now, if you believe Joe in the bracketology, um, I, I think the pack's going to end up with uh, with four. Uh, now, again, uh, what happens the rest of the way is going to be really important. If, if they start beating each other and it works out the wrong way, it's not going to happen. But um, I, I think they have a reasonable chance. I think there's five teams that have put themselves in position uh, to, you know, to, to make that run, and it's totally different. I don't know how much time you spend handicapping or – uh, picking the pack race, but this it's turned out nothing like, I feel, with the exception of Arizona still being you know at the top or near the top. Um, everybody else, there's teams playing way better than I thought. There's teams that I thought were going to be in the mix that are nowhere. So it's been a it's really been an interesting year in the Pac-12 so far. Yeah, and Kyle Smith, I mean, he replaced those losses with junior college kid, Division two kid, Big Sky Conference kid, and. He's, you know, they're playing lights out. Meanwhile, you yeah, got Oregon. And nobody yeah. thought, and somebody that was there for two years and beat uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. So yeah. they didn't, anybody that says they saw this coming uh, is, is lying. Uh, but it, it's, uh, they're, they're legit. They're not doing it with mirrors. Uh, they're doing it. They're really, really good defensively. Uh, they have a nice comment. They shoot, I think they're one or two, but they're, they're no lower than three. It changed a little bit after the two games last night, but. They're one, two, or three in field goal percentage and field goal percentage defense, which is a, a pretty good combination to have. They're uh, they real they don't really don't have any holes. I'm not saying they're you know the team to beat in the Pac-12, but they're legit. They really are. PJ Carlissimo with us on the call tonight for the Pac-12 Network. Oregon State, meanwhile, um, have you ever been around a team, coached a team that just for whatever reason played completely different at home on the road? What do you see when you look at Oregon State? I'm I'm baffled because they're an extreme. I mean, we you know we've all had teams that aren't as good on the road as you are at home, but I mean they're beyond that. And and this has not been a problem this year. Now again, this team um, after the Elite Eight, it was a total rebuild that next year. So I mean I you know easy to give Tink a pass for that one to me. Last year he played all freshmen. Now they're all freshmen and sophomores. So you can see it a little bit. But I mean they have just when they leave Gill Coliseum, I don't know what happens. Uh, but but they have struggled. Now, they've, they have lost some close games. You know, it's not like they're getting beat by 25 every night out, but they're they're coming off a really tough trip to the L.A. schools last week, uh, and they're, they've been not pretty good. They've been very good at home. They won three of their last four. Their loss was an overtime loss also, I think, to Stanford. So, like, you know, and they beat Arizona. Like, the, the teams they beat were not the bottom of the league. So it's a, for whatever reason, they're a very, very different team. Uh, in Gill, I, I do chalk, you know, chalk a lot of that up to you. Well, when you got a young team and they're freshmen and sophomores, but their freshmen played a lot last year. The, the, these guys that are sophomores have a lot of experience. The, the, the current freshman group is getting 
um, you know, some some experience now too, and I think they're going to be good in the future. Um, you know, just who knows? You, you just can't predict the roster from year to year, and particularly in the case of Wazoo and and Oregon State, you know, going into a totally new situation next year in the West Coast Conference in terms of basketball. Um, you know, who they're going to be able to recruit, who they're going to be able to keep. Uh, I mean, now it's 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 as big a deal recruiting your own guys and trying to return as many players as you can. And Wayne and uh, Oregon State have always been very good at that. They've gotten guys that feel good about their program, and they stay there, and they get better. And, like, they, they're, they're kind of like the older college, you know, old-time college teams where you had guys and they got better from freshman to sophomore year, and then when they were together for two, three, four years, all of a sudden you saw the results. And I think potentially that's what Wayne has right now uh, with his group because they're still – a very young team compared to, you know, most most every team in the country. PJ, when you look at that job, you know, you not only have to coach, but you've got to worry about recruiting and then worry about your guys getting in the portal. Um, we're seeing some football coaches run to the NFL and going, I, I don't, you know, I'd, I'd rather just be in the NFL where I can actually coach. Um, would that appeal to you to be a coach in college today, NBA? Like, you know, where's your mind on that? NBA, yes. College, not as much. And, and the, the reason I say that, and I like, I never really differentiate. Like, you know, my first whatever five or ten years in the NBA, because having coached in college for twenty three years, everybody would always ask me, "What's the difference? Which one did you like more?" I, I, I honestly like them both equally. They're different. Um, there's different aspects of both of them that I like. There's aspects that I don't like. Um, right now, I, you know, ESPN's kind to me. In addition to my MBA schedule, they allow me three weeks to go to the NCAA tournament for Westwood One, which is is great. And then on top of that, living in Seattle, I get to do about ten Pac-12 network games. So I get my college fix, and I get to see them. John, almost without exception, and I'm not just talking basketball. Everybody's pulling their hair out. They're just they're not the older guys that I'm closer with. I mean, I know a lot of the younger guys who were assistants and whatnot when I was uh, coaching, and and you know I've gotten to meet them. But they're all saying the same thing. Man, this is not what I signed up for. This job is different than it used to be. You have no control. It's so hard, so difficult to coach freshmen. They come in, they want to play a lot, they want to get a lot of shots, or they're going to come in and tell you, hey, coach, I can get so-and-so from uh, this X team. And, and, you know, they all get the word to them. You're not supposed to contact people or they go in the <laughs> portal. But these guys all know. And it's like not just the, the really good ones, which is obvious. Like if you're anything but at the elite level, in a strange way, if your best player like really is playing way better than anybody thought, somebody's going to swoop in and offer him, you know, a better NIL situation or a situation where you can go to the tournament or or go deeper in the tournament. Uh, so it's, I mean, it is really, really tough. And then there's just a lot of schools that don't have the NIL resources that that other schools have, and 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 that's hard because the kids know. And even the lying that goes on, like I'm getting this, I'm getting that. Doesn't matter when you cut through that and you get to, the, you know, the the absolute bare essentials. There's teams that with just enormously bigger budgets, and and the players know that. And it, it's uh, I'll tell you what, it's hard. And it's the same as early in the year, the SEC football coaches were complaining about NIL. If the <laughs> SEC football coaches are complaining, uh, you you know there's there's something not right. And it's uh, you know, and I'm. I'm still close with a lot of people in the Big East. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a particular conference. 
you know, just being around here with the Pac-12, with the WCC, with the Mountain West, you've got different tiers, Big Sky, you know, like they're all competitive, but like in a different way, they're all a little bit different. I mean, there's some that hardly deal with the NIL, and there's other guys that the NIL is so important to what they do. And, you know, living in Seattle and seeing what um, UW has gone through uh, in both football and in basketball, I mean, it is uh, it's a challenge. I, I just think there's a lot more people who seem unhappy, maybe a, a tiny bit strong, but just not really thrilled with what the job has become elements of the job that didn't used to really be major factors and now the most important thing and you got challenges on your hand now that you didn't use that you know it's hard enough to get a group together people really don't know how challenging it is to get 14 or 15 people on the same page and, and you know being competitive and doing things when you're competing with other people trying to do the same thing now with the the transfer and guys being able to leave and i think help me out you probably know john Raekwon Battle, who I knew pretty good when he was at UW to start um, and then went to Montana State and now he's at West Virginia, that suit that he won or got to stay or whatever the hell it is, unless I'm mistaken, it's like the Wild West right now. Anybody can go anywhere. Now, maybe that's going to get overturned, but, I mean, it is so difficult um, when when players just feel, you know, I don't like, you know, it's it's been – cloudy the last three days i'm gonna go somewhere else i want to go to a southern school i'm gonna go to california (laughs) it's nice i mean it's like come on man guys are coming in to talk to you about meetings i'm like get out of here what what the hell do you want me to do so it's uh it's it's really it's really difficult uh i I think a lot of the coaches at the i'm saying lower and i don't mean it in the negative but i mean you know the, the schools that aren't spending a gazillion dollars the leagues that are one bid leagues a lot of them are happier but they, they have the same issue. The worst thing that can happen is you find this diamond in the rough or you get some guy that just improves dramatically uh, when he's been there for two years. Well, you can kiss him goodbye. I mean, he's gone. He, you know, he's going he's going somewhere else. It's just a question of where he's going and how much is he going to get. Or, you know, uh, hey, I want to go to the tournament, Coach. We're in a building situation here. It's going to take us two years to get to the tournament, or I, I want a chance to actually win an NCAA tournament. So it's uh, – it's tough. Uh, it's still the product is good. Danny Hurley, I was you know lucky enough to coach for two years at the Hall. They last year were absolutely the best team in the tournament. I, I just by luck, Westwood. I, I had them all uh, three locations. I had them in Albany the first two weeks. I had them in uh, first week. I had them in Las Vegas for the West Regional, and then I had them in uh, wherever the heck the final four was last year. I think it was in Houston. Um, And they were the best team and they were playing the best. And I mean, you know, barring an injury or something like that, they were, they were going to win it. I tell you what, they're really good. Again, they came into Seattle uh, in, I think it was in December uh, and handled Gonzaga. I've watched them a lot. Boy, they're playing well. They're deep. Um, You know, they're athletic. They shoot threes. They got a big man. It's uh, they're tough again, but I mean, it is wide open. Uh, I just think there are so many teams that have a legit chance, you know, like really, hey, we're good. You know, you all say that. You put your hand in and we're going to win the whole thing. But, I mean, there's a lot of people that are looking around saying, hey, we we can beat any of these teams. Anybody can beat anybody. And it's uh, it's hard to win six in a row, which is what you have to do. Usually, uh, or I'd say almost without exception, nobody nobody wins six unless they're truly one of the best teams in the country. But I think that pool – of teams that are capable of winning 
is a little bigger this year than it's been in some years. That's interesting. Uh, P.J. Carlissimo with us. 40 years of coaching, now broadcasting, Pac-12 Network. He's got the game tonight, Oregon State, Washington State. I, You know, something we were talking about this the other day on the show, the dream team in 92, and Chuck Daly's the head coach. You're an assistant. Coach K's an assistant. Lenny Wilkins with you on that staff. What was that experience in 92 like for you? It was uh, the best summer I've ever had in my life. I mean, it, it, you know, there, there was kind of four aspects to it. Uh, we, we, we spent about a week in La Jolla in San Diego with the training camp. We played against the young kids, the select team, and uh, uh, that was fun. Uh, getting to know some of the guys on the team that I generally didn't know at that time. I, I didn't know Carl. I didn't know John Stockton. Uh, I didn't know Larry Bird. Some of the guys I knew really well from the Big East and from Nike and from college. Um, and then you had the week uh, right in Portland playing in, in, the, in the Glass House, uh, the Tournament of the Americas. A lot of people forget we were there. Uh, we were there 4th of July. Peter Jacobson opened um, OGC, Oregon Golf Club, 4th of July, 92. Uh, that, that was the year that, that that debuted. We had a great time. You know, I always uh, enjoyed going to Port. At that point, it was because of my uh, association with Nike and Mark Bryant playing there and uh, the relationships. So it was good to be in Portland. And then uh, we went to Monte Carlo for a week to train before we went to Barcelona. And then the ultimate was the the Olympics in Barcelona. It never, that group was just freaky in terms of you had guys at the end of their careers or near it. You had guys in their prime. And you had a couple guys that were, even though they were still really good, they were kind of just starting to dominate where they were going to be all NBA players. And it was, uh, they had a lot to prove, which people don't remember, uh, you know, because it was so long ago. But we had lost in 88. Uh, we, the United States, had lost in Korea, uh, didn't win the gold medal. And it was the first time that we were putting our professional players out there. Uh, and you had three players uh, who had won a gold medal in 84, Michael, uh, Patrick Ewing, and Chris Mullen. You had one player, David Robinson, who had lost uh, in 88, didn't get a gold medal in Seoul. And you had eight guys, um, seven of whom, forget Christian, because he would have made the team eventually as a young college guy, um, seven guys who thought they would never get a chance to play in the Olympics. And people don't realize how meaningful it was to, to a, an Irvin Johnson, to a uh, Larry Bird, you know, to these guys. You had guys like Stock and uh, Charles Barkley who were reputed to be, you know, among the last cuts in 84 when, when Bobby Knight picked his team. So you had all these dynamics coming together, and that team just, like, they took it very seriously. And, and you know, they just they wanted to send a message, and they play. If, if you go back and watch the tapes, you'll be surprised at how well they defended, how well they passed the ball, like how, how well they played basketball. We've had other teams since then that sometimes are complacent or overconfident or, you know, don't, don't always play the right way. That team, it was, it was amazing. And to be, a, you know, a small part of it, to, to work with Chuck, was, uh, it, was, it was amazing. Uh, they'll, they'll, you know, hard for me to imagine uh, any, any kind of basketball experience that ever comes close to that summer. Yeah, and I can't, I wonder about it because I, you know, you see like in the Olympics, like the trainer will be working, you know, for an Olympic team with Usain Bolt or Michael Phelps and our coach yep. that gets to work with Phelps. And you go, gosh, what would that, what must that be like to work with the best in the world? And you, I mean, that team, the best. And as a coach, you ha you have players who not only are capable, but understand how to play the game, know how to play together. And for some reason, play set their personal stuff aside and play unselfishly 
they they loved it. I mean, the dynamics that went into that, and you know, everybody saw Chuck. Chuck didn't do a good job. He did a great job. I mean, a lot of could a lot of people have coached that team. Of course, I mean, it was the best best basketball team ever put together. But I think Chuck really struck a nice chord with them, and they they knew you know it. Did they enjoy it? Yeah, they enjoyed it. They loved playing together. But it was also uh, a little bit of a, a message sent, a little bit of an opportunity. Hey, look around this locker room. Look who you're going to play with uh, for two months. Those guys enjoyed it. They really enjoyed playing with each other. They enjoyed uh, particularly the eight guys who had never been on an Olympic team. They enjoyed it. It's so different when you play and it says USA on the front of your jersey or on your shirt. Uh, it, it really is. It's amazing. And uh, you know that thing all came to a, a culmination. But you know when they, when they played uh, the 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 band Star Spangled Banner in Barcelona, it, it was incredible, and it was a uh, it, it was just an enjoyable summer. And the friendships that were you know, you spent a lot of time with those guys. The friendship I tell you, one of the funniest ones. They knew each other obviously from playing against each other. But uh, and I never knew why they called it Harry, but it was Harry and Larry. Was Larry Bird and Patrick Ewing were like inseparable. Hmm. Like if you walk, went into the lunch, you know, lunch at the hotel, and you said those two would always be together. We had, we'd put T-shirts on that were, you know, had the pictures of the two of them, and it was Harry and Larry's show. Uh, uh, but I mean, there, was, there were great friendships made, and the families were there in Europe, in 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 Monte Carlo and Barcelona. They were not there in um, San Diego, and you know, very few came to to Portland. They weren't living with us like they were. But the experience over there, you got to know, so, you know, so many of these guys that were. Young kids. I mean, Patrick's daughter, Randy Ewing, works for the NBA now. John Stockton's kids. I saw all of them, you know, playing later, playing basketball, playing football. And these friendships are, are still there. It was really uh, a tremendous experience. Uh, we, we were so, so fortunate to, to be, a, you know, a small part of that. All right. P.J. Carlissimo, who'll be on the broadcast tonight, Pac-12 Network, Oregon State, Washington State. P.J., thank you for joining us. I'd love to get you back on later in the season kind of get a feel for the tournament right before maybe it comes out and uh, the bracket for comes sure, out. John, would, would, would love to, and uh, I, I need to get to Portland, man. I'm not getting there enough anymore. So come on. Um, say hello to Chauncey, and I hope I, I hope I get a chance to get down there. All right. P.J., thank you. There's P.J. Carlissimo coming up at 4 o'clock. We got Dana Altman. I'm going to ask him about his future in Eugene. Ducks are playing tonight, 7 o'clock, against Washington. At Matthew Knight Arena, big game for Oregon. They've got to win these home games this weekend. They're going to get two big opportunities against Washington and Washington State. The Washington game tonight at 7, Washington State 2 o'clock on Saturday. you got the BFT. Our big splash is coming up next. I rather enjoyed the, that interview with P.J. Carlissimo. Last year at the Pac-12 tournament, uh, my seat on press row was right beside P.J., and I, so I got a chance to sit with him during several games and just kind of pick his brain on everything that was going on on the court and everything was happening with the Pac-12, all that stuff. It's a great resource, wonderful resource with so much to offer. And I thought it was really interesting to hear his take on sort of coaching and coaching in college, coaching in the NBA and the friends that he has that are still out there coaching. Uh, Dana Altman is coming up top of the hour. He'll uh, talk to us about the University of Oregon program. They're hosting Washington tonight at 7 o'clock. If you are interested in going to that game at Matthew Knight Arena, I'm sure Dana Altman would love to see you there. Love a little bit more energy in that building. Saturday at 2 o'clock, the Ducks will host Washington State in a big one. But Oregon-Washington tonight at Matthew Knight Arena. That brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know. 
the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger, home of the peanut butter pickle bacon burger and voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs are already talking about next season. General Manager Brett Veach was talking in Nevada today uh, in front of the Super Bowl on Sunday about re-signing defensive tackle Chris Jones, cornerback Legarius Sneed, also another offseason priority, getting both those players under contracts. Um, it's amazing as they're preparing for the Super Bowl against the 49ers that they have to already be thinking about, okay, we gotta we got to focus on next year, not this game. That's the job of the general manager. He's also got a head coach in Andy Reid. That is who will turn 66 years old next month in his 25th season as a head coach uh, in the NFL. Andy Reid retiring anytime soon? Uh, the Chiefs don't think so, and those close to Reid say he's not going to retire anytime soon. It'll be the Chiefs and Niners in the Super Bowl on Sunday. Uh, I'll ask Dana Altman that question coming up. 65-year-old Dana Altman, watching a lot of college coaches throw in the keys, say they're not interested in being part of the NIL and the transfer portal era of college athletics. Does Dana Altman have an appetite for that still? Oregon We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.